right thing, do the right thing. Do it all the time, do it all the time. Make yourself right, never mind them. Don't you know you're not the only one suffering? Do the right thing, do the right thing. Do it all the time, do it all the time. Make yourself right, never mind them. Don't you know you're not the only one suffering? Do the right thing, do the right thing. Do it all the time, do it all the time. Make yourself right, never mind them. Don't you know you're not the only one suffering? I see you up again, wandering so diligent. Be crossing your T's as though it weren't irrelevant. They say formality, this is what they really meant. They could be the walk, we could, we could be the pavement. There indeed. And welcome to the Pop and Jay show again. Yeah, I'm Jay. He's Pop, and we talk a lot. We're going to dive right into our topic today because whom we are talking about uh, is a man who didn't mince words, didn't beat around the bush, didn't pussyfoot around, beg the question, pass the buck, hem and haw, cloud the issue. Um, yes, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia who passed away last Saturday, February 13th. Uh, he would get right to the point, right to the heart of the truth in making all of his decisions. And so, yes, we're going to talk about him today, as well as the overarching subject of justice. You know, you and I have been talking recently about doing some of these podcasts as like maybe profiles into the lives of people who we really admire, uh, some of their work, people from history. And while the nature of this episode, it came about in such a sudden and really sad way, I mean, losing such an amazing constitutionalist on the court when we are in like the most dire straits right now, it is tragic enough in and of itself, but also the fact that he's such a good, decent man and that his death was so sudden, it's just, it's a sad loss for his family, for our country. But this will still be a good initial episode excursion into that profile style because we're going to illuminate for our audience and ourselves if we do our job one billionth as well as Scalia did his. Uh, we'll inform everyone and hopefully learn something great about justice. Definitely ourselves as well. No question about that. Uh, just to mention real quick, though, what episode number is this? That's right. Double digits, man. Number 10. We did it. I mean, assuming we don't die before post-production and this actually makes it to the airways and we haven't been shut down, uh, which could also happen. That could happen. And full disclosure, we tried last night and experienced a tsunami of technical problems, which mm. all of which I blame on you because you are the brains behind that part of it, and I use the term. No, no, no. Don't blame me. Add it to the conspiracy pylon that's going on right now about Scalia's death. See, this is all part of it. Not only is it a conspiracy that he was murdered, but it was also some evil conspiracy plot to keep us from even recording an episode about him. Ah, I, I think that is part of it. So you're right. We might not make it through this episode. I'm going to have to get someone to taste my water for me. 
But you're right. If As we, we do, it is episode number 10. Very nice. Well, with, with no further ado, Justice Scalia, what a man. <clears throat> As a right-minded, original-thinking, traditional American, I loved him on the bench knowing that we had him there watching the Constitution's back. Um, but not only that, as I've come to learn about this, this this great man, he was also a very faithful and devout Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a core of it. He grew up with a very devout Catholic mother. He attended the Jesuit high school, Xavier, in New York City. He was valedictorian at Georgetown University, which is another Jesuit institution. Jesuit being a, a branch of Catholicism, or not a branch of Catholicism, but a an order of the priesthood that, mm-hmm. that has their own teaching. And he keeps a portrait of St. Thomas More, the patron saint of lawyers, in his office. Mm-hmm. One of his nine children, Paul Scalia, is a Catholic priest in the Arlington Archdiocese. How about that? Yeah, and uh, he's going to be interviewed tomorrow so by the time this podcast airs, you can probably already check it out on your podcast app or catholic.com. Uh, they're doing, they're interviewing him in the second hour of the show on Wednesday, February 17th. You're talking about Paul. Mm-hmm. Father, father, Paul uh, Scalia, Antonin Scalia's son. And it, one, there's so many anecdotes over the last few days I've been reading about Scalia. It's almost hard to not smile as I learn everything about him. I mean, it's so sad that he's gone, but every story, every anecdote, every quote, his family is so full of joy and pride in their, in their patriot, in their patriarch of their family. And it's funny. There's one little anecdote about Paul that he's <laughs> they're being interviewed him and his wife. And he says, you know, if you have five sons and a good Catholic family and one of them's not a priest, something went wrong. And, <laughs> They he he joked that when Paul said he was he's gonna do it that the other boys were like he's taking one for the team he's taking the bullet and anyways just always a good good sense of humor I just find you you just you can learn so much about somebody if they have a sense of humor about themselves their faith too and and just life generally and even his passing um, I noticed uh, on Facebook his his daughter making a joke about their mom not being allowed to answer the phone because she might joke that she did him in or something. And not to make light of his passing, but you know, if you do believe if you lived a good life and not just a good life, but if you are a faithful Catholic, then you don't have to fall into despair. You know, we miss them so much for being gone, but there's something you can really learn about how to handle death from, from faithful Catholics too. So anyways, well, and he was very much in his private life, in his public life. He was outspokenly uh, devout and faithful. He, a quote that I found from him from just a couple of years ago, 2012, at the uh, Living the Faith conference, he said, Have the courage to have your wisdom regarded as stupidity. Be fools for Christ. And what he meant by that, which those of us who feel this way know, is uh, the world, and when we say the world, we mean the secular world, we mean the the presiding intellectual academia, etc. They look down on people of faith. Mm-hmm. And Justice Scalia, another one, a clip that I heard, I hope we can find, maybe for this show, 
uh, he was talking about how I think I'll paraphrase very closely. He said, you can be sophisticated and believe in God and believe in a first mover an unmoved mover. You can be sophisticated and believe in a personal God who cares about you and, and interacts in, in his creation. And you can be sophisticated and believe in Jesus Christ who came to earth, died for our sins, who was the son of God and who now is in heaven. And he said these things unashamedly, unabashedly as one of the great minds of our time. And it just makes the, the intellectual elite scratch their noggin because they look at him and they go, well, okay, we don't agree with him, but he's clearly a brilliant man. And what is this stuff he's saying? Yeah, he is uh, definitely a brilliant man. He was, uh, despite them being in favor of it, of course, liberals did, did not want him anywhere near the court. They tried very hard. Uh, there's really humorous back and forth between Ted Kennedy and Scalia, but he owns it. I mean, he's too good, he's too smart, and he's he's had such a good record up to the point in 1986 when he became uh, Supreme Court Justice. He was voted 98 to 0. That's he was, he insane. Was yeah, and um, that quote that you went, went, uh, were talking about, about being a Christian and being intellectual, I found a longer version, maybe from somewhere different, that I just love. It says, God assumed from the beginning that the wise of the world would view Christians as fools. And, yes. he, and he has not been disappointed. Devout Christians are destined to be regarded as fools in modern society. We are fools for Christ's sake. We must pray for courage to endure the scorn of the sophisticated world. If I have brought any message today, it is this. And then this is what you said. Have the courage to have your wisdom Regarded as stupidity, be fools for Christ, and have the courage to suffer the contempt of the sophisticated world. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Uh, so, uh, yeah. so contrast that with the other, I'm doing scare air quotes here, other Catholics on the bench. And it's just laughable because they, the other, quote, Catholics have gone... <coughs> John Roberts... <laughs> Well, I, I'm not even talking about him, and I'm talking about a, a life, not one or two things that he might have done recently, but I'm talking about these justices that continually uh, vote for things that are antithetical to the human soul, and I, I just don't, I just don't understand. He is, he's clearly that the reason right now you're seeing so many people from all political sides come together to praise this man is not just come together though either. You, you know why you're seeing, Oh, you, I think the, have you, well, we'll talk about this. I'm sure the scorn and the nastiness. Oh, I got some of that for you coming up. Yeah. And along with sides coming together, I think you also see what, it, I mean, what an amazing impact he had by the vitriol you see as well. And here, you know, yeah. you, you, uh, your enemy will tell you when you're hitting them or whatever, you know, well, it goes like this in my world, uh, an old fighter pilot, a bomber pilot, I should say, uh, aphorism or saying was, you know, you're over the target when you start getting anti-aircraft fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was definitely over the target. He was hitting people where they live and those who are consumed by the world and who find themselves at odds with anything that God and religion are involved with, they of course are going to hate him. Well, and 
there's a, I took, um, I took a lot of English classes and one of them was really odd. Our teacher made his own book for us and the book was entirely Supreme Court decisions. And I'm so glad I got to be in that class. It was illuminating just to actually read this stuff. But Scalia's work made up most of it. And it, this teacher wasn't a conservative or originalist necessarily. I think actually it wasn't an English class. It was like a critical thinking class. So he wanted us to think critically about these things. And Scalia's work was so, so much more readable. Like by a wide, I really encourage anyone, anyone out there to take time to read some of his decisions and contrast it with anyone else's, anyone read anybody else's work. And he just cared about it. He's like an artist. And I always have thought, like, if I wasn't interested in visual arts and animation, you know, I really do enjoy debate. And I think being a lawyer, and actually, it's frustrating right now. I can't even imagine how frustrating it would be. But I do understand where his appreciation for for the law comes from, because there's such a finite truth to defending the Constitution. It is what it is, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful document, and when you're in the Supreme Court especially, your only job is to defend it, and it's an honorable job, and he did it, he wrote so so eloquently as he defended the Constitution because, in his own words, he said, maybe then people will read it. So he cared not just about you know, he cared about what he did as an, as an artist. And I really appreciate that. Like when you find somebody, whatever they do, you know, if they're your, uh, a yard person, but they do this little extra bit and they just care about what they do, whatever it is that you do. And that showed in everything that he did. And, and, um, we're going to talk probably a little bit about how he got along with his opponents, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah. Let me, let me actually go to that right now. Yeah. Jump to that. So if whoever doesn't know Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is the Antonin Scalia of the left. She's the the most far left, if you will, on the bench, and she wears that proudly. Well, she also happens to be um, really, really, really good friends with Antonin Scalia. Like, mm-hmm. they have been best – she calls it best buddies, all right? And right here I think I'll play – right after you get done introing it, I think I'll play a clip. I have a really cute clip of her descri- describing him and how perfect, charming and wonderful he is. So I'll play that here. So so if you also don't know this, but there was actually an opera called Scalia Ginsburg. It was an actual opera that ran for a long time, and uh, he would never go see it. He <laughs> He didn't – for whatever reason, but apparently it was really good and it captured them both. Um, so here's her statement. Okay. And by the way, I'll read a few of these from the left leaning judges, justices. Uh, you can find them all easy enough, just reactions to his death, but we know that the right leaning ones are going to say good things, but here's what his, his opponents, if you will, said, starting with justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And by the way, in the last few days, I have come to have, more respect for her than I ever have before. Uh, anyway, quote, toward the end of the opera, Scalia Ginsburg, tenor Scalia and soprano Ginsburg sing a duet. We are different. We are one. Different in our interpretation of written tex- texts, one in our reverence for the Constitution and the institution we serve. From our years together on the D.C. Circuit Court, we were best buddies. We disagreed now and then. But when I wrote for the court, 
and received a Scalia dissent, the opinion ultimately released was notably better than my initial circulation. Justice Scalia nailed all the weak spots, the quote applesauce and the quote argle bargle, (laughs) and gave me just what I needed to strengthen the majority opinion. He was a jurist of captivating brilliance and wit with a rare talent to make even the most sober judge laugh. The press referred to his energetic fervor, astringent intellect, peppery prose, acumen, and affability. All of these are apt descriptions. He was eminently quotable, his pungent opinions so clearly stated that his words never slipped from the reader's grasp. Justice Scalia once described as the peak of his days on the bench an evening at the opera ball when he joined two Washington National Opera tenors at the piano for a medley of songs. He called it the famous three tenors performance. He was indeed a magnificent performer. It was my great good fortune to have known him as working colleague and treasured friend. As annoyed as you might be about his zinging descent, he is so utterly charming, so amusing, so sometimes outrageous. You can't help but saying, I'm glad that he's my friend or he's my colleague. Well, and he, man, he, I don't know. I, I guess I shouldn't assume this, but because he's the one who's so amiable and and kind and sweet and everything, I imagine him being the initiator of that friendship and I imagine her being very cold and hard to get to know at first. <laughs> and you and know, he broke through it. And so many, how many Christians don't ever think of anything like that? We, we isolate ourselves, you know, and we're called to, we're not called to do that. We're called to engage. And like Christ said, I came not for the righteous, but for the sinners. Yes. And who knows what good he did for her soul and for her everything, and well, not just okay, her, so, everyone's. So let's let's put aside her for a moment because maybe you know they were buddies for thirty years, whatever. Let's go to another lefty justice. How about Stephen Breyer? Quote: Nino Scalia was a legal titan. He used his great energy, fine mind, and stylistic genius to further the rule of law as he saw it. He was man of integrity and wit. His interests were wide-ranging, as was his knowledge about law, this nation, and its constitution. He loved his family. He also loved ideas, music, and the out-of-doors. He shared with us his colleagues, his enthusiasms, his humor, his mental agility, his seriousness of purpose. We benefited greatly. His contribution to the law was a major one. Our hearts go out to Maureen and the family. We have lost a fine colleague and a very good friend. We shall miss him hugely. I mean, I imagine everybody who knew him was going to have a similar reaction. He's, he's, he, I feel like I've known him, you know, just from reading his work. He's, he's, he's a force, you know, and hopefully it looks like maybe he went peacefully in his sleep. We don't know all the details, but. Murdered, you mean? Nobody's, um, nobody's getting out of here alive. So Here's, here's another short one. Uh, here's Justice Kagan, Justice Elena Kagan. Uh. Nino Scalia will go down in history as one of the most transformational Supreme Court justices of our nation. His views on interpreting texts have changed the way all of us think and talk about the law. I admired Nino for his brilliance and erudition, his dedication and energy, 
and his peerless writing, and I treasured Nino's friendship. I will always remember and greatly miss his warmth, charm, and generosity. Maureen and the whole Scalia family are in my thoughts and prayers. Mm, that's odd coming from her. Didn't know she Isn't could. it? Well, it sure, Justice, sure hasn't Aaron's affected her. Re- retired, uh, sorry, moving ahead. This one's short and sweet. Justice uh, John Paul Stevens, retired. Nino Scalia was a good friend, a brilliant man with an incomparable sense of humor. And as articulate as any justice who ever served on the court, he has had a major impact on the development of the law and earned the respect of all of his colleagues. We will all miss him. It's insane how incredibly well-liked he was. And so what we have to do right at this moment, because we absolutely have to, is we have to switch to within one hour, within one hour of his death being announced. Here's what was coming out from prominent people on the left. Scalia was a monster, and no one's job entitles them to respect that came from, from Tomas Rios. How about from Glenn Greenwald, a very famous liberal? Don't even try to enforce the inapplicable don't speak ill of the dead rule for the highly polarizing, deeply consequential Antonin Scalia. Highly polarizing? Didn't we just prove that, that left-wing people that knew him were anything but polarized? Mm-hmm. Uh, here's another one from Charles Manning, who is the senior style editor for Cosmopolitan. The devil is back in hell. Yay. I got into a Twitter spat with a moron who has 24,000 followers on Twitter, and he said, Antonin Scalia requested cremation in his will, but millions of women will meet tomorrow to discuss if that's really best for his body. I was furious, and I just, I wrote back, if he was being cremated with another living human, that comment would make some semblance of sense. Some. I mean... How about... How about this one? Hope Scalia is in a place as effed up as he tried to make our country. <laughs> I saw on Drudge today that 35% of the country didn't supposedly didn't know who Scalia was or something like that. Wow. So what they'll know of him now is what they'll see in the media, which is all bad. Well, here's a guy named Adam Monsbach who is a uh, Best-selling author of a children's book entitled Go the F to Sleep. Swear, that's what the title is. He says, I hope in his death throes that Scalia was cognizant enough to realize that Obama was going to be the one to replace him. And that's yeah. really what we get to. I mean, this is the this is the reason, on top of how horrible a loss it is, the precariousness of this situation is it can't be overstated how important it is that the Senate do not fold to this and do not allow anyone Obama puts forward to get a hearing. Yeah, let's, period. Let's let's just be on record with that, but not go into it because I'll start shaking with anger. Well, it's funny because you know you hear these people talking and you see the way that the left is trying to spin this. Oh, how not? Yeah. yeah. And we're talking about justice, and we're talking about Antonin Scalia's life, which he lived for justice, uh, and is, there's, I mean, it's ironic, because it's also the same, when you think about good, any good Christian who, who um, you know, martyred, or Christ himself, justice himself was 
given no justice. And I think about Scully the same way. A man who epitomized justice in his death could, uh, if his position is um, chosen by Obama, it could be the exact opposite of justice. Yeah, it would be. And and here's one I found that actually, you could tell that they actually put some serious thought into this. And this person named Jensen Karp with a K, K-A-R-P. Not sure who that is, but apparently they're prominent in some circles. Uh, this person spent some time researching for sure. Here's their uh, post on Twitter. I hope Scalia died from gay sex. <laughs> I mean, that is a thinker right there. Isn't it? Well, it's not, and it's funny because it's not like he's. I mean, I'm. I would. I hope he gets. He gets to smile at some of these because he. He did um, handle this well in life. He was always abused and treated horribly in the media and outside of it, and he always handled it well. You know, he would outsmart anybody. You could see the snarkiest reporters trying to ask him questions. There's a, I think it's Diane Sawyer or somebody. This sixty minutes, yeah, long piece. She seems so snooty and just mean at the beginning, and by the end, they look like they're best friends. Like she can't even help it. So, yeah. Here, this one here, uh, Moshe or Moshe, M O S H E, Kasher. Just to make sure I understand your argument, you want me to show respect for the death of a hateful man who disrespected so many lives. Does this sound at all like the person that we have already? you know, talked about just for a few minutes leading up to this. Is it, there and, is and such here, a disconnect. Okay, and, and speaking of justice here, you know, it's infuriating because I'm a writer and so are you to think you, you, when you, when you sit down to write something, you want to get it out as, as whatever it is. Now, if you're writing something like a opinion piece for the court and you're trying to prove that you, this position that you came to was, was not, it was not from your personal preference. It was based in logic and justice and sound, you know, judicial thought. And he did that more than any human has ever done ever in the history of writing for the court. Just to, so that nobody could do what they do anyways. Because <laughs> they're morons. Like, they still accuse him of being, you know, this and that and bigot and sexist and this and that and this. Even though, even in Obervelt versus Hodge, you know the most recent awful one they they say what how, he's such a monster. He articulates his points so well, never ever 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 mentioning God or religion or any of that, and and he gets no he get no respect. But well, you you could I mean you could say a lot of things about this man, um, and maybe you could say things less gushingly positive than we said. But how could you call him? hateful and things like that when the the lib the hard left liberals like kagan and, and ginsburg who knew him better than anyone can't stop gushing about what a great man this was that this disconnect is just staggering that that we've got going in this in this country it really is staggering well obama i don't remember what he said exactly because pretty much he didn't even wait for justice scalia's body to be cold before he was already saying he was just going to replace him. So I don't, even if Obama, I don't know what Obama said about him, but you're right. I mean, the, it could, you, some people could argue, oh, oh, they say nice, you know, it's just work. They have to, 
say nice things about their their fellow whatever. But no, it's not that. It's They don't gush on and on and on and on. They just say, my prayers and thoughts are with them. No, these guys go out of their way to say how wonderful and... Well, there's there's so much more than what I read. I mean, it, it doesn't end. It, the people that knew him, whether they agreed with him politically or... Uh, you know, in interpreting law or not, they, they, to a person, once you knew this man, you loved this man. It was just that simple. Well, and I appreciate the idea of, of, uh, what Kagan said that maybe there's a chance that his way of thinking did influence them, but some of the decisions lately, I don't know. Well, you know, rather than dwell more on these nitwits and, low-minded people out there that are so filled with hate. Um, why don't we do this man, this great man, some? let's do some justice for his memory by talking about justice, um, which is, you know, the, the thing that he sought most in life and worked for so many decades tirelessly to ensure and to try to ensure. So let, let's talk about justice. Can we do that? Sounds like a plan. It does sound like a plan. Um, I have so much to say on this topic that I won't. I'm just going to uh, restrain myself. But there's there's some things that, that we just have to get out. Like, what is it, first of all, we always have to try to define. So why don't you define it for us? Why don't we define it right now? What is it, What the heck is justice? Mm. What does it mean? It's when... Well, it's a virtue, so we can start there. Yes, it is. It is, I would think, let's see if I was just going to make up a definition for justice. I would say it's when what ought to happen does. <laughs> I like that a lot. But then we get into problems, don't we? Probably. Actually, you know what? You just agreed because you're very smart and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But you just agreed with, a, a man named Thomas Aquinas, uh, when defining justice, he said it was a certain rectitude of mind whereby a person does what he ought to do in the circumstances confronting him. And there we go with that word. And this is why justice is so elusive in an era of moral relativism. Because who gets to decide what we ought to do? Is it something we decide or does someone else decide it? And if someone else decides it, how is that fair for us? How is that justice? And this is the problem with a society and a world that now seems to operate on moral relativism. The ought to do thing is there. It's inside each of us. You know, I've talked about this on even on some of our episodes. Mm-hmm. It's the natural law thing, right? So Aquinas said, a, a man, justice means a man does what he ought to do in the circumstances confronting him. So when something happens to you or me and we do, quote, the right thing, that's justice. Well, and then so thinking of Scalia, so people would say, well, so he's such a more religious man. How is he going to judge fairly on the court? If he Is he going to be considering what the Pope says? I remember when we were um, studying the history of the Supreme Court, there's that time period where there was, there was going to be five Catholics and maybe another one coming. And, oh, my gosh, the Pope's basically going to be running the country. But if those Catholics 
We should be so lucky. If those Catholics are, first of all, being good Catholics and doing their job as Supreme Court justices, what, who, so who does decide as a Supreme Court justice what ought to be decided? Is it coming from God? I think Scalia's point is that for us, morally, we have that, what we ought to do. But as for him, as a Supreme Court justice, he has a, a piece of paper called the Constitution of the United States of America, and that's telling him what he ought to decide. So right. it depends on what situation you're in. If you're playing a game of football, the rules of the game are going to tell you what you can and cannot do, what you ought to not do, like uh, deflate footballs so that you can throw them better. Well, and uh, Cicero from ancient Rome, he said, and by the way, every problem we have have been had by societies before, and certainly Rome's a great example of that. But Cicero basically said that the more laws there are, the less justice there will be. And and you can see that play out mm-hmm. in the Supreme Court's world and in the world that, that Scalia operated in. They had to wade through so much to get it simple concepts. It, justice isn't complicated. In fact, here, let me say a few things that it's not. Here's some things that justice is not. It is not revenge. It is not compassion. It is not even necessarily equality. It is not necessarily fair. And it is not necessarily pretty. So that's what we run into, you know, no, no justice, no peace and Black Lives Matter and whatever other nonsensical thing you want to say out there. Well, you're going to run into a brick wall of people if you try to say justice is not necessarily fair. They don't want to hear that. But that's right. It's not necessarily fair, depending on your definition of fair. Mm -hmm. And depending on who you are, uh, what seems fair to you may not actually be what is fair. That's why justice is that thing that I wrote about this in an essay that I might have written on justice on rightequalsmight.com, shameless plug. But justice is that thing that many people call for on a regular basis without having a good grasp on what it actually means. Because if they did have a grasp on it, they would not be so quick to shout for it. Because Mm -hmm. you better be careful. I mean, I'll I'll tell you a quote from uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson, or at least paraphrase it. He said, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. And Jefferson knew exactly what he was saying there. He was saying, justice is going to come for all of us at some point. And it made him tremble thinking about that. So, and by the way, that was Thomas Jefferson, the famous atheist, as all the lefties would have you believe, right? Talking about God and God's justice. Well, yeah, I, it's it's pretty much the problem that people have believing in God generally. You don't you say you want some you know like people make me a saint, but not yet. You yeah. want what's right and you want what's good in theory, but in practice, sometimes it hurts. And justice can be the same thing because right now, for example, in our society with the unimaginable state of welfare that we're in where almost more than 50% of the country is bringing in so much that they don't earn that they're not working for that's not just and when they get that taken away eventually hopefully by uh, a restoring of this country to its founding that would be the ideal for them they'll they'll cry unjust but they're not right, you know, and uh, but it's hard to con- convince them of that. And you get, 
um, for example, during the Obervelt Hodges case, which the um, final opinion I think was written by Kennedy, if I'm not mistaken, whatever whoever was the one who wrote it, it was it was I think Mark Stein who said it was like some romantic piece of uh, gay love poetry. Yeah, and it Scalia was, himself, I think, commented on that, right? Well, he had, yeah, he had some, he called, he, oh, I, you know what, let me see if I can find it. I'll find it here in a minute while, while we go, before we go into something else, but they, so you see justice versus, versus, uh, a, so when you, t- I guess it's, it's knowing where your compass is, your just compass needs to be, is it coming from your your sentimentality, your emotions, your theology, or in the case of a Supreme Court justice, in that case of deciding if same-sex marriage should be law of the land across the United States, uh, where is your sense of justice for this issue coming from? And it was clear in the winning opinion for five, I think it was five, four, or maybe it was actually six, three, I don't remember. Um, but it was clear that that the the same sex marriage justices, first of all, they were going outside of their authority in the within the Constitution. They were creating law. They were, you know, uh, legislating from the bench as it's as it's called. But they felt, and and so many people in this country feel that justice was served. You hear, you see them cry for justice, and and they just can't recognize the truth that no. You, you, you're happy that you got what you wanted, but it was not just. It's kind of like if your team gets a penalty that wasn't exactly a fair penalty, you're like, ah, I don't care. Yeah. As long as we got it. It's well, fine for us. So it's a virtue, as you said. Is it a individual and individual virtue or is it a societal attribute? Um, I think that we have to have it in our private hearts. Otherwise, like I think we talked about when we talked about sin on another episode, we talked about the communion of sin and uh, social sins and all of that. I think the same thing's true with this justice thing. Um, And this goes way back to the pagans. Plato uh, wrote about justice and he said, justice in the life and conduct of the state is possible only as first it resides in the hearts and souls of the citizens. And that makes perfect sense because... If we're all walking around selfishly thinking that our own idea of justice is justice, that's where we, what is that old saying about finding truth in the mirror, right? Um, How is our society going to be anything besides the chaotic mess that it is right now? Yep. Because that's, that it's just another out uh, branch of moral relativism. I mean, I want justice. I want it for myself and for my family, for you, for my country. So where do I get it? Who owns it? Where does it come from? Um, the moral relativists see it, that it's floating out there for anyone to grab it as they see fit. Yeah. These, the mm-hmm. same people that talk about multiple truths. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, they run it's all one it's all one I, t- I think i've talked about this on episodes before the point when i realized it didn't matter if i was in my fine arts classes or my english classes or my philosophy classes the same thread was running through all of them this this uh postmodernism yeah and it's sick 
it's sick. I'm sure we talked about it in an art episode. I found the quote from Scalia. Uh, yes, here it is on the ruling on the gay on the on the court ruling on gay marriage. He said. To allow the police question of same-sex marriage to be considered and resolved by a select, patrician, highly unrepresentative panel of nine is to violate a principle even more fundamental than no taxation without representation, no social transformation without representation. If even as the price I love to be, that. I know, it's so good. If even as the price to be paid for a fifth vote, I ever joined an opinion for the court that began, the Constitution promises liberty to all within its reach, a liberty that includes certain specific rights that allow persons within a lawful realm to define and express their identity, I would hide my head in a bag. The Supreme Court of the United States has descended from the disciplined legal reasoning of John Marshall and Joseph Story to the mystical aphorisms of the fortune cookie. How can you, I mean... too good. That is too good. That's the kind of writing you know as a writer, and I know you. that feeling, that kind of writing only comes when you've got the truth on your side, and truth is justice. So, uh, those of you listening... Guy in Hawaii and uh, Marshall in D.C. Back up and listen to that again because that is gold. That is that is gold. Or just, yeah, check his, I mean, his quotes. He is. Yeah. So uh, anyway, back to owning justice. God alone owns justice. Okay. Uh, Scalia is not the only one that feels that way. Uh, anyone who's thought it through understands that justice is, justice belongs with truth. They, they reside together, and that is God. God alone owns it. We try to borrow it. The more we know about it, the less comforting it can be because we're not perfect. We don't kid ourselves and say, you know, I'm in the right all the time. If that, that's whole, The whole part of it is understanding that when we do wrong, justice will come for us. Whether the justice is our own conscience or God or the law or whatever, but we have to understand that it's not what we want it to be. It is what it is. It's sort of like that Scalia quote about the Constitution being, I wish I had it in front of me. You and I just shared it. We talked about it with the family thread, I think. Uh, Which The one? Constitution uh, being a living document or whatever. And he says, no, it says what it says. And it doesn't say what it doesn't say. Yeah, that's the argument of flexibility, and it goes something like this. The Constitution is over 200 years old, and societies change. It has to change with society, like a living organism, or it will become brittle and break. But you would have to be an idiot to believe that. The Constitution is not a living organism. It is a legal document. It says something and doesn't say other things. <laughs> right. And so much like that, um, we if we want justice, then we have to be ready when it comes to us, and when it comes, it comes in its own way. And it doesn't care about our personal notions of fair and equal and so forth. We have to be ready to stand with justice and, way more importantly, to stand before justice. It's like Ayn Rand, who I love her writings. Obviously, I don't agree with her mm-hmm. <laughs> philosophy and her atheism and all. But she used to say, it's not judge not, it's judge and be prepared to be judged. Mm-hmm. And it's very ironic because that's a very, very Christian way of looking at it. That's the same thing with justice. It's, it's You want justice, you understand that you're not going to find it in the mirror, and it, it, it applies across the board. Well, this happens a lot, I've noticed, in uh, the Republican versus Democratic parties. 
you know, you see sex scandal after sex scandal after sex scandal on the left. And they really, they are okay with it. I mean, look at Bill Clinton in the White House over and over, accusations of rape, um, impeached, lying under oath, all these things. And he's still a very prominent, famous, you know, on our side, I say our side, I just mean people who tend to be more conservative-minded, it is rightfully, justifiably, perfect, I think, just the way it should be, when one of these scandals happens, it's a big deal, and that person is usually done. And they, then they ought to be, you know, or if they get, you know, look at Nixon, look at Watergate is still, oh my gosh, the left has done so, look at Hillary Clinton right now, what she's done just blows Watergate out of the water. Right. And that's because I think it's a good thing because, you know, we have principles, we put them out there, and that's why we can fall so hard if, you know, if we get caught up in something or the pre-scandals. Oh, look at the pre- It's because they stand for something. And yeah. when you stand for nothing, it doesn't matter. You have what, you know. Right. Hey, look, Bill Maher said dirty words and cheated on his wife or did yeah, drugs. Yeah, it's like shocking. Oh, hum. And it's hard. And so some people will say, like, well, then why even be a Christian or why even? So, yeah, it looks like it's smarter to be a leftist. And that's why young people tend to be go that way easier is because it's really challenging to be good. But as you grow, you start to hopefully, hopefully develop a, a conscience that understands that it, 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 it is actually more painful in the end to be living that way because you're so far from the truth. And, you know, hopefully your conscience will demands it of you that you well we we talked about conscience and and this some of this stuff in our little sin episode recently mm-hmm. but it's so true that we, you know have you ever heard the term uh whistling past the graveyard i have but i don't really know what so that's that's just a, like a, a, an old saying and it just is means, it like whistling dixie it means you're 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 ignoring what's in front of your face because it makes you very uncomfortable so mm-hmm. yes. you know you're going to die. You're walking past the graveyard, so you whistle because you don't want to think about it. And that's what's going on with with you know sin and with justice in general. People violating their consciences and people with their uh, moral relativism. It's it's all because we're all afraid of justice, of true justice. Like Thomas Jefferson, we're all trembling at the idea of a true justice. And so those of us that are so scared of it, we're just going to go ahead and create our own little world where it doesn't exist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like right now, the the streets uh, the streets are filled with people screaming for justice, and yet if justice came and when it comes for them in its true form, they cry foul Mm -hmm. because they don't they don't want to recognize it. They call for it, but what they really want is more personal and selfish. They want what's best for them. Mm -hmm. That's their idea of justice, and and we are all guilty of that at times. By the way. Oh, From the time we're little kids, of course. Of course we feel that way because we're selfish creatures. Mm-hmm. But when we engage that great brain that God gave us, we realize that justice is impersonal. It is not something that's necessarily what we want. <laughs> or even if you are not some great mind and you can't think the way Scalia does or you have trouble with, hopefully... If your heart, your if because if you are a loving person, you will also arrive at justice the, the same way. Because if you look at everyone, every human, the way we're called to, with total love, then you will 
want what's best for them. Sometimes that is tough love. And sometimes, yeah. and, and so you can also be a 100% just human being if you approach everything from a standpoint of love. That's why some of our best popes, Pope Benedict was quote unquote the, what do they used to call him? The pit bull or whatever. The, yeah. Know, he was the most kind. German Je- Shepherd, actually. Well, no, like they called him names when he was, was a, when he was a cardinal. I know because he's a German ship, but um, kind and intellectual. But then you also have Pope Francis right now, who some you know we might disagree with sometimes, especially when it comes to like, uh, you know, I don't know intellectual stuff because he's not the same kind of writer and thinker, but. If he continues to go about things with love the way he he seems to seems to do, he can also arrive there to justice, like Mother Teresa did. Justice can come if you follow truth, whichever way you follow it, as long as you're actually following the truth. This was always my contention with my professors. Of course, there's truth. There's truth in everything, you know. And we talked about relativism when it comes to art or taste in art, but there are still undeniable truths uh, in everything. And if you follow truth, you will also be following justice. Yes. And if it, w- whether we're a Supreme Court justice or just people like us or regular folks, uh, we're searching for justice. If we want to get to it, we have to learn how to discern. We have to have an open heart. And I like to think of this phrase of having our ear cocked toward heaven. In other words, the answers are out there if we seek them in the right way. Um, Like the Bible says, seek and you'll find. But we have to be open to the idea that it's bigger than us and outside of us, and it's not about us. We have to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Segwaying for a minute, we got to, I guess we're getting close, but uh, I, I do have one thing left to read about Scalia, but I also had a few quotes to throw out fast and furious. So let me know when you're ready for those. Go for it. That was easy. I speak on behalf of the much, entire audience. so That was much easier than I thought. Okay, so getting back into the mode of how justice for a society and all that. So Socrates, nothing is to be preferred before justice. Alexander Hamilton, I think the first duty of society is justice. Benjamin Franklin, without justice, courage is weak. Hmm. Here's, here's Plato. Knowledge without justice ought to be called cunning rather than wisdom. I love that one so much. St. Augustine said, in the absence of justice, what is sovereignty besides organized robbery? Mm-hmm. Yes, Lewis said, mercy without justice grows unmerciful. Oh, that is something that every, everybody needs to learn today. So crazy. Edmund Burke said all human laws are, properly speaking, only declaratory. In other words, we're just saying them. They have no power over the substance of original justice, which is what we've been saying for the last few minutes. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Um, So I don't know. I, I, I think of all of these great minds that have thought this question out over millennium and they all come to the same conclusion, the same as Scalia would or, or, you know, any decent judge or justice. Well, and you say, so, so, so thinking of that Edmund Burke quote, so, okay, so people could say, oh, so you're saying that Justice Scalia, he just, he only followed the Constitution, he he interpreted it, and decided based on that only. Well, what if something was in contrast to his faith, whatever? Um, That's the point, is the Constitution 
is such a gr- beautiful, like a- almost perfect document. That's why Justice Scalia became Justice Scalia and worked his whole life. He was passionate about the Constitution. So that's what came first. So it's not some like backwards thing where you're like, so would he defend anything to like that? No, that's why he became a Supreme Court justice because because our founders also had all these things in mind when they when they wrote the Constitution in 1787. They considered justice just like we are right now and just like Scalia and everybody else should do as they're uh, interpreting it. But drafting the Constitution took justice into mind and that's why people like Scalia devoted their life to it. It's not which, you know, it's not backwards like he would just argue any document. No, he worked because he cared about that document and he sees it as a very just document. I do as well. I find it to be absolutely the closest we could get as humans to devising something that would institute the most justice for the most people without being, without infringing on anybody else's rights. It's the first document in history that took so much time to help keep government and, and, and overreaching authority authoritarian figures from, from usurping power from, from the people It empowered individual humans. It's very Christian and it's very just, it's, it's very just. Well, my, one of my favorite philosophers of all time is Pascal, Blaise Pascal. He said, justice and power must be brought together so that whatever is just may be powerful and whatever is powerful may be just. And I think that's what our Constitution did and, and still does. Mm-hmm. Uh, so great. And, and he also said justice without force is powerless and force without justice is tyrannical. Again, our Constitution, those two things. <laughs> I mean, the painstaking t- time spent with that document to to make sure that no none of these branches have gained too much power. And and look, it, it it's be the only times that we see problems with it are when the you know I I would say the one big flaw is somehow the Supreme Court ended up getting too much power. And it's not people like Scalia, when you look back in history, who you could ever say, look at this overarching overreach of the the Supreme Court led by Scalia. Never. That's the point, is these people are mad that try and and put that on on, uh, constitutionalists like him. From people like him, you'll see a reverence and... uh, a due respect, but just trying to hang on to the last vestiges. I have quotes from him. He was, he got very sad at the end of his, there were times in his last decade that he, he saw despair because this, this new wave of uh, postmodernism, like we've been talking about, it meant people didn't see things the way that, that they were written. You know, Robert Bork, mm-hmm. uh, who, Who's up at the same would time? Certainly, would certainly have gone down as uh, Scalia's equal mm-hmm. as far as legal minds go if the left hadn't done what they did to him. Yep. That's the borking. But he wrote a book. <laughs> you know what the book was called? Mm-mm. No? I don't know. Come on. This is a quiz now. Robert Bork book? I can, yep. go- I can Google it. No, no cheating. Well, I don't know. 
a time to speak? Oh, a country I do not recognize. No. Well, he might have wrote that. He wrote a book called Slouching Toward Gomorrah. Ooh, good one. It, it was very, at the time, it was like a super bestseller. I read portions of it. I never read the entire book. But it's all about what you just said was troubling about poor Scalia in the last decade. Bork understood that long ago, and he was writing about it. Uh, we're we're heading Everyone can see it. We talked mm-hmm. about it in our sin thing. But everyone, Anyway, I have only one more quote and then a short thing I want to read about Scalia. So I'll do this quote and then you can, whatever you have left, and then I'll do the little story about Scalia. Okay. And we'll do whatever. But the final quote should be, uh, obviously, this is who should get the last word. Uh, God should get the last word. So we'll go to the Bible for a moment. Uh, Deuteronomy, Old Testament. In all communities which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall appoint judges and officials throughout your tribes to administer true justice for the people. You must not distort justice. You shall not show partiality. You shall not take a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes even of the wise and twists the words even of the just. Justice. Justice alone shall you pursue so that you may live and possess the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Oh, that's good. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> and we'll swing it back to Justice Scalia. Wait, let me give let me give you a quote from Scalia on this is Oh yeah. I'll just give you Even my said, It's the last word. Go ahead. This is my favorite quote from Scalia that I've found in the last few days. He says, "Bear in mind that brains and learning, like muscle and physical skill, are are articles of commerce. They are bought and sold. You can hire them by the year or by the hour. The only thing in the world not for sale is character. And I just like that when I think about him because you couldn't, you, he's an individual and that's what I think we all hope to be. You know, you want to be, like Shakespeare says, we're, Life's a play, and we're all just players. Yep. Well, okay, I want you to think of those wonderful, uh, compassionate, tolerant, left-leaning folks that I was reading, whose uh, quotes I was reading earlier when they learned of the death of Antonin Scalia. Think of them as I, as I, re- as I recount this little story to you. Uh, this, this gentleman here... His name's Jeffrey Tucker, and he didn't necessarily agree with a lot of Justice Scalia's decisions. Um, he agreed with some, but not all. But he never doubted the sincerity of his beliefs. And now that he has gone from this earth, Mr. Tucker feels he can tell a story that he has held inside for many years, a scene that touched him deeply and profoundly. And whenever he thinks of Scalia, he cannot help but remember this moment. It was a spring afternoon, and he was attending church services, sitting in a back pew, holding his prayer book in his hands. The Mass had ended, and most people had gone. Scalia was still saying prayers alone in the back pew. He finally got up and began to walk out. This is in Washington, D.C. There were no reporters, nobody watching, no one even knew who he was. There was only a woman who had been attending the same services. She had no idea who he was. I was a bystander, and I'm certain he did not know I was there. What was a bit unusual about this woman 
She had lashing sores on her face and hands, open sores. There was some disease, and not just physically. She behaved strangely, a troubled person, the kind you meet in large cities and quickly walk away from, a person to avoid and certainly never touch. Uh, Sidebar from me, I know these people well. I deal with them all the time in my job. And I see how, quote, regular people recoil from them. For whatever reason, she walked up to Justice Scalia, who was alone. He took her hands, even though they were full of sores. She leaned in to say something, and she began to cry. He held her face next to his, and she talked beneath her tears that were now streaming down his suit. He did not flinch. He did not try to get away. He just held her while she spoke. This lasted for perhaps more than five minutes. He closed his eyes while she spoke, gripping her back with his hand. He did not recoil. He stood there with conviction and love. There were no cameras and no other onlookers besides myself, and he had no idea I was there. Finally, she was finished. What he said comforted her, and she gained composure. She pulled away, ready to go. He held her rough, sore-filled hands, and had a few final words that I could not hear. He gave her some money, and then she walked away. And then he walked away, across the green grass toward the Supreme Court building, alone. He was probably preparing for an afternoon of work. I stood there in awe. Here we had one of Washington's most powerful men, a star by any standard. Cameras followed him all over. That kind of attention can get to you. In time, you might begin to believe that your life is a performance. Not in Justice Scalia's case. What I saw that day was a humble man, a compassionate man, a man who believed in the power of personal contact. This was the action of a man of true principle and character. In that action, he sought no credit, no attention. He was merely doing a human and beautiful thing. Superhuman. I. That's amazing. Yeah, I... I can't shake the idea that his family knew this, you know, his family, his not his nine kids. He was an only child and he was a actually had no cousins either even though they're an Italian Catholic family. And so he was, you know, he could have been spoiled and he just he never seems to have gone wrong. He you know, I'm sure he had everybody has their moments, but his his nine kids they're all still very conservative Catholics including a priest, as we said, and they all seem right now to be, you know, sad that their dad is gone, but content knowing what a good life he lived. And that's, that's, that's justice. That's the, the justice that we hope for at the end of life that, that our family, you know, when people say, what do you want after you die? What do you want people to remember about you or whatever? I just, I want them to know that I that I lived that kind of a life, you know, like it's not that we have to be a Supreme Court justice, but that you lived a good life, and that you lived every day as a good person. And it seems it seems like he really did try to. So I am glad we did this podcast about him uh, and justice, just generally. Um, I I was blown away when I heard he passed away. You know, it's weird sometimes. Like I prepare myself for certain people who I really look up to for when they're they're going to go, and then all of a sudden something, somebody else will will go, and you realize, wow, I didn't realize how important that person being around here was in my mind. You know, he's just such a stalwart, uh, just such a force. Um, that yeah, 
I'm, it was it was shocking, and I'm glad. Well, we did this. we're we're lucky to have shared this timeline with him, and I, I count myself lucky to know of him and to be able to have learned from him. And, and I'm going to learn a lot more now. Mm-hmm. Sadly, uh, we often wait till someone's dead before we really understand how important they were. Um, but yeah. anyway, such um, such thanks for one. this episode. This was. This is a good one for me. It feels cathartic. I, a part of me now feels like at least we did some teeny little thing to, to honor this, this great man. Yes. And, uh, somewhere in here, I'm sure I'll have more than a few quotes, maybe now, uh, from him in his own words. Sometimes people come up to me and, 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 uh, and inquire, you know, Justice Scalia, when did you, when did you first become an originalist? You know, as though it's some, some weird, uh, Affliction, you know, when, when did you start eating human flesh? If it was up to me, I would have thrown you know, this uh, bearded, sandal wearing flag burner into jail. <laughs> but it was not up to me. I attack ideas, I don't attack people. And some very good people have some very bad ideas. <laughs> and, and if you can't separate the two, you've got to get another day job. You, you, you don't want to be a judge. At least not a judge on a, on a, on a multi-member panel. I could be charming and combative at the same time. What's, what's, what's contradictory between the two? I love to argue. I've always loved to argue. And uh, I love to point out the weaknesses of, of the opposing arguments. It may well be that I'm something of a shin kicker. It may well be that I'm something of a contrarian. If in an old-fashioned Catholic family with five sons, you don't get one priest out of it, we're in big trouble, right? I will say that the other four were very happy when uh, when, when Paul <laughs> announced that, that he was going to take one for the team. I don't know. <laughs> Little kids come to the court. They're brought by their teachers and they recite very proudly what they've been taught. I mean, this is how, you know, widespread the... The Constitution is a living document, you know, and I have to tell them it's a dead document. That's <laughs> when I first came on the court, I thought I would for sure get off as soon as I could, which would, would have been when I turned 65, because, you know, justices retire at full salary. So there's no reason not to leave and go off and and do something else. Um, so I, you know, essentially, I've been working. I've been working for free, which which probably means I'm too stupid to be on the Supreme Court. <laughs> you should get somebody with more sense. Uh, but I cannot. Uh, I can. What what happened is simply I cannot think of what I would do for an encore. I can't think of any other job that that I would find as interesting and as satisfying. You know, just keep, as you say, keep moving forward and forward. In this case, that means towards justice. Yes, and as you're moving forward, people, friends, Romans, countrymen, please continue to try to do what you ought to do. Mm-hmm. All right, goodbye. And when the light is on, this